Welcome back to the Gospel Culture and Me. This is episode 15. And as always, we're going to talk about what's happening around us in the world and how do we make sense of it through understanding the gospel more clearly. My name is Steve Smith, and today we have some incredible guests. They are friends of the Gospel Culture and Me who are going to help us do a deep dive on what do you do when your marriage starts to get off the rails. I mean, I want to encourage you, especially if you're a leader, if you oversee an organization, a pastor of a church, a person of influence, listening closer to this one is Dave and Ann are going to share their own journey of getting the priorities wrong and the long journey back to a thriving vertical marriage. Make sure to hang in there for part two of this episode, where we're going to debrief and discuss with the usual crew, Lena Abu Jamra, Derek Puckett, Ron Zappia, and myself. Well, hey, our guests today, Dave and Ann, have been married for more than 38 years and have spent the last 33 teaching and mentoring couples and parents across the country, from marriage conferences to NFL locker rooms. Dave and Ann are co-hosts for the nationally syndicated radio program, Family Life Today. Prior to that, they were co-founders of Kensington Church, a multi-campus church with more than 14,000 people every weekend in Michigan. They're authors of The Survival Guide to Parenting, as well as their most recent book, Vertical Marriage. Here's Ron Zappia and Jody Zappia's conversation with Dave and Ann Wilson on Recovering Your Marriage. Dave and Ann, it's uh, it's great to have you guys with us, man. We are so excited, Jody and I, to have you with us on the podcast today. And uh, we've known you over the years, and um, we've got so much respect for you. And you know, we've had you out at our church to teach at our marriage conference. And uh, last time, I was thinking about this, we did an interview. You interviewed us on your radio show, Family Life Today. And uh, now we're interviewing you, so it's time to get back at you. That's where we're heading. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean, get back at us? For <laughs> so, what? So that, well, I, I don't know. You had a lot of hard questions for me specifically. So, but uh, we're no. excited to be with you guys today. <laughs> oh, Thanks yes. for having us. Yeah. Well, we're excited too, and uh, you know, um, the story that uh, you know that led up uh, not just to the book, but you know, has informed so much of your ministry is powerful and. Uh, you know, what you guys have done from co-founding a church to, you know, doing all the things that God has done. And uh, at one time, I don't think it's going to sound foreign to our listeners, but in the first decade of your marriage, you, you know, you find out you weren't as synced up as you thought you were. And that provi- <laughs> <laughs> provided some issues. So before we get into that, tell us how you guys are doing, though. Catch us up. How are things going right- so far? Well, I mean, we're doing well. We just transitioned out of uh, our church. We've been yeah, there totally. uh, 30 years. We helped wow. start it in 1990. Man. Uh, wow. Actually, our oldest was, what, two years old then? No, four years old then. And now they're grown, and we have six grandkids, and oh we goodness. are full-time with Family Life and Family Life Today radio yeah. and podcast and yeah. writing. We have a second book coming out in a month. Oh, that's um, great in April on parenting. So our first book was on marriage and it was all about how we almost lost our marriage. And our second one's called No Perfect Parents because we're not perfect parents. So we basically <laughs> write these books about how messed up we are, <laughs> but how Jesus helps us. Yeah, that's that, right. That's pretty good. And that's good. extremely helpful. So uh, no, it's that's Best great. Seller. And, man, 30 years at the church. And I know that's a huge accomplishment. So I just want to mm-hmm. applaud that. I know mm-hmm. your guys' leadership, uh, you know, that was a 
a great run and a great opportunity. And uh, it's just exciting to see what you're doing now. So I want to do this. Let's frame our time together specifically to leaders and leaders of churches and organizations as unique challenges. You know, they face those. Title of your book is Vertical Marriage, you know, one secret that will change your marriage. And so let's just start out by talking about vertical marriage and maybe telling us what you mean by that and what's the secret of it. We've found, uh, and I know it's true because we've talked to hundreds, if not thousands of pastors over the years, it's real easy to get really, really super involved in leading a church or being right. on staff on a church staff and neglect your marriage. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that I was doing that. In fact, I was the guy standing on stage right. preaching that marriage should be a priority and, it, and it's a priority in my house and my wife would agree with me and my kids would probably agree with me. Not even knowing that my wife was not thinking the same thing because I really wasn't, you know, living what I was preaching. I was saying it, but the church became more important to me than my marriage, and I just didn't know it. And I found out one night, but I didn't know it. Well, I think what happens in this, we've talked to a lot of people, and this can be very typical. And especially if you're married to a leader— um, if your leader has a lot of goals and achievements that they want to fulfill, right. I think what I felt like, like, oh, this is awesome. We're going to do this together. We're a team. This is amazing. We started having kids and I'm still involved doing things. But suddenly I felt like Dave's eyes were on the prize of his job. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, I, I know you guys are important, but I felt like he stopped pursuing me, wow. stopped mm-hmm. putting our family as a priority. And man, he was going after, and it, this was a good thing, God's call, but it felt to me like he was leaving us in the dust. And I've talked to so many women that have felt like, man, I was duped. Because mm-hmm. in the early years, my husband, he wooed me. He went right. after me. He right. wanted to gain me as a wife. And I heard this one wife, she wrote me. She said, I feel like my husband was on the hunt. He saw me. He shot me. He killed me. He begged me. He took me home, he put me on the mantle, and now he's off to his next prize and the next hunt. Mm -hmm. And that's what I felt like with Dave. Wow. He's he's fulfilling this dream and this call, but it's now become his passion where the family wasn't. Wow. You know, um, I I feel like your book really addresses the fact, too, that our, our natural tendencies are what we bring into our marriage, right? And our natural tendency is always to go for the horizontal, to go for each other and like, we need to work this out. We need to discuss this as if the solution is is in that. Um, why is it, would you say, it's so vital to pursue Christ first um, versus each other? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know, as a pastor, that's what we preach. Obviously, it's uh, pretty much going to find its way in every single sermon I've ever given is I'm trying right. to point people vertically mm-hmm. back to Jesus. You know, people used to joke about a Dave Wilson sermon always ends up the same place. <laughs> you know, Jesus, <laughs> the gospel is the answer, <laughs> right. regardless of what the problem is. And yet I wasn't doing it. You know, it was mm-hmm. like, Jody, just like you were saying, I was trying to find my life in horizontal things. Uh, yeah. could be success. It could be you know, it's really easy for a number uh, or for a pastor to count numbers. You know, how many people are coming, how much money is being given, how many people are we baptizing, what kind of lives are being changed. And mm-hmm. forgetting that the most important disciples in my life were not sitting in pews or in seats yeah. in, a, in a Sunday morning service. They're sitting in my family room and sitting around my kitchen table. 
And so it was really easy to focus on horizontal achievements yeah. and accomplishments. And then the other thing I would do is I would then focus on Anne and feel like she's not meeting my needs. Wow. She's complaining yeah. and she's saying I should be home more. And <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing now, but man, it was a struggle and we were not doing well. I can remember 30 years ago, I can remember getting in the car to go to meetings and again, a church meeting, maybe an elders right. meeting or a leadership meeting that I'm going to lead. And she'd be walking behind me to the car with probably two kids in her arms, you know, pregnant with our third. And just like, where are you going? What, where, what's going on? I'm like, I told you, I have another meeting. I can't be home tonight. And she'd be yelling as I get in the car. I, I can't imagine what our neighbors thought, you know, there's that <laughs> pastor and his wife next door, you know, but. She's like, what do you mean you're leaving me again? And I'd slam the door shut. I'd be driving to this meeting, sort of yelling at life. And this and, is in the evening. A lot of times he had a meeting. Yeah, evening, I was just sure. gone many evenings when uh, now I look and think I should have been home. I could have scheduled those for a different time. But again, my eyes were horizontal. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I really wasn't looking vertical. I wasn't finding life from Christ. I was just finding life from trying to find it from my marriage, but especially trying to find it from church work right. and not realizing I was, I was really missing the whole deal. We both were. Dave, what was the light switch moment? I mean, what happened, you know, and, I, and we know a little bit of your story, but describe for us, you know, what was it? I mean, I know it wasn't a light switch, like things turned uh, immediately, but but what triggered you to, to, to seek the help that you needed to, to move this thing forward? I mean, um, we wrote two chapters in the first two chapters of vertical marriage. So I won't go into the whole deal, but yeah. it was simply one night, 10 year anniversary date. Right. The first year we're starting our church. And uh, again, I think if you would ask me on a scale of one to 10, how's your marriage? I probably would have said a 10 plus, you know, right. and I would have said, Anne is going to agree. I was that yeah. deluded. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was, I had no idea. And, uh, Long story short is we're driving home from this amazing, I think, date. It was amazing. You know, <laughs> did a good job with <laughs> Nice food, nice restaurant, spent money, roses, everything. We go parking on the way home, which again is my idea. Hey, let's go parking. You know, he just wanted a good makeout session. <laughs> um, and I think pastors should go parking anyway. So, and and I thought it'd be cool to park in the parking lot of the school where we were going to launch our church. So. As I lean over to kiss Anne, she's not interested. Uh -oh. I mean, she just sort of turns her head yeah. and I can't believe it. Cause I'm like, this has been the date of all dates. We talked about every year of our marriage for the last 10 years. I just thought wow. it was a great night. And bottom line, when I asked her what was wrong, she just said, I've lost my feelings for you. Mm. And that's the light bulb moment. It's like, what? You know, I had no idea that was going on. And then she proceeded to tell me, why and it's everything we've already said it was just i was yeah. gone and yeah, my totally. my heart was captured by really the church and i'd started pursuing other things and leaving her in the dust and the vertical part is right there in that moment in that car i sensed the spirit of god say to me repent and repent i knew what it meant it meant you know this isn't just a horizontal marriage issue this is a vertical your relationship with me issue. And uh, if you don't get that right, in other words, put me number one, this marriage will never be fixed. And so vertical marriage really means that. It's like, yeah, boy, right. 
I would have told you, you know, yeah. if I hadn't a sense that, you know, I can fix this. I can just right. get home more and, you know, put more energy in my marriage. But God was saying, no, 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 no. You don't understand some. You're preaching about me, but you don't know me. Repent, get your walk with me right. And then let's go back and work on this horizontal marriage. Yeah. And Anne, if you could tell us, um, if you go back to that 10-year point and um, how there was such a disconnect there, because I think a lot of people can relate to where you guys were at. Maybe you can share how you, looking back, how do you think you got there um, to where he was thinking it was great and yeah. you were com- almost ready to just check out? Yeah, I was. Um, it's interesting. Like we, were, we would continually be fighting about his schedule, about time. And I felt like every time we'd have that discussion, it would end up in a fight. And he would say, I am here. <laughs> And so mm-hmm. I started giving up on fighting. And I realized I was angry at first. My anger turned to bitterness. Yeah. And then my bitterness basically turned to numbness. Like, I don't care. I have nothing left. I don't even care. I would have said our marriage was a 0.5, possibly a 1. Which wow. the fact that he thought it was a 10, I'm like, <laughs> seriously? <laughs> like, that's how checked out he was to my emotions. Yes. But what I did was I started becoming so frustrated with Dave. I put all my focus on him thinking if he would just get his act together, we could be great. And it's almost like I took my eyes off the vertical, off of Jesus, right. thinking it's, that's not the problem. The problem is Dave. And I thought if he would just get everything right, I could be happy again. And so when Dave actually got on his knees in our car... I would have said before that night, the problem is my husband. I'm doing everything yeah. right. But when Dave started to pray out loud in the car of a prayer of repentance, and I thought it would end up in the typical fight. That's where our right. pattern always went. But he's praying this prayer of repentance. I was so convicted, mm. and I felt like Jesus was so sweet. And he basically said, Ann Wilson, you have been trying to find your life through wow. your husband. I've never created him to meet all of your needs. He doesn't have the capability to meet all of your needs. That's my job. And so my prayer was, oh, I've made my husband and my marriage an idol, and I need to go vertical and make Jesus king again. Wow. Wow. Can you develop that a little? What, What would you say to the person who's in that spot in a ministry place where they're feeling like, they're stuck, you know, why bother, why continue? And, I mean, that really is an interesting insight that you shared um just what would you say to somebody who's in that place Hmm. i mean i would really say get on your face before god yeah and i would say like lord show me my heart show me my walk with you what does that look like am i trying to find life anywhere else because we all do it Mm -hmm. i can do that with my kids like i can find life through my kids or my grandkids or you know, it's, it is an idle thing or a job. And so to evaluate, is anything weightier? Is anything have more importance to me than God? And then it comes down to that surrender moment of, Lord, I, I remember praying that, like Dave and I both yeah. were on our knees. Lord, we give you everything. We put you back on the throne. We want you to have it all because I've been trying to find life through all these different areas and it's not working. And so you need to be Lord of it all. Wow. That's great. Um, I really appreciate what you're saying there. And, you know, it it makes me think um, we do these marriage conferences, and I know you do a ton of them. And um, there's so many times, though, like 
we had the fortunate situation where when God really broke us, we both broke. And it sounds like that's what happened with you guys. And there's so many couples out there, though, where one person has gotten to that place and they've been broken and they've repented and they want the marriage to work out. They're willing to work at it, but the other one is not there yet. What would you say to that person? I mean, that is... The hardest, and it's probably Mm -hmm. more typical. I would say, Mm -hmm. sure, yeah, that Mm -hmm. is. I I think I think you're right. I think we're both both of us as couples are sitting here thinking that you know what our story is unique in that sense. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, yeah, when it's when you're at a point of brokenness and repentance, and your spouse isn't, or they're not changing. Oh, it's so hard. And you're right. We talked to so many couples. That's where they are, and I. And, and there's no easy answer. The only thing we can say is you, all you can do is concern yourself with you. You yeah. can't change them. Right. Mm-hmm. You have to sort of lift them up to the Lord and beg God. Or I mean, not, you know, just ask God yeah. to work in their heart. But more than anything, it's the one time you look in the mirror and say, I, I should be selfish. I need to take care yeah. of me and change me and let God change me and serve her and serve him, even though I don't want to, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm gonna, even though they're not changing and just say, God, do a miracle. I'm going to try and be the man, the woman you've called me to be and trust her, him to you. And again, Mm -hmm. often it doesn't happen overnight and sometimes it doesn't at all, but other times it takes years or months and God will do a miracle. I, I love that Andy Stanley quote. He says, your spouse should be able to know how much God loves them by the way you treat them. Yeah, that's good. Like, oh, that's really hard. I had a woman come up to me (laughs) at a book table. We were signing books, and she said, I want you to know, I've been married 20-some years, and probably I've I've been praying for my husband all those years. He's he's not a follower of Jesus, um, and I felt like God has told me to stay. And she said, I tell you, I've just gotten it down. I'm the happiest I've ever been in the last five years. And I said, really? What happened? Like, did your husband change? She goes, no, he didn't change. I have found my contentment in Christ. I am more fulfilled than I've ever been. Mm -hmm. And I've asked God, like, show me who he is. And I'm going to praise who I see you've made him to be instead Mm -hmm. of complaining about all the things he's not doing for me. I thought that was pretty remarkable. Yeah, that is. That's amazing. You know, you mentioned it, Dave. I don't know about you guys. You, you know, you guys said you fight a lot. I mean, Jody and I, we never fight. I mean, we've never fought at all. <laughs> well, so, no way. Yeah, Thirty wait. years of marriage. You know, I wait. mean, yeah. I, I mean, we've never fought at all. We, we've had we've had one fight. We, it started the first day, and we lay it down. We pick it back up the next morning. <laughs> it just keeps going. The same one. It just keeps going. But no, in all seriousness, you know, I mean, um, you know. Um, let's talk a little bit about conflict resolution because mm-hmm. I, I know, you know, how did you, how, how did the two of you learn how to fight and, you know, fight fairly? And, and what do you tell other couples? And this is a big part of your ministry. I've heard you speak on this. What do you tell other couples about fighting? And, you know, how do you fight well? Because it's kind of inevitable that in marriage, there's going to be, you know, helpful mm-hmm. and harmful ways to, dis, to, uh, to deal with conflict and disagreement. Yeah, I mean, um, Conflict, obviously, is a big part of marriage of any relationships. I mean, you know, I was the Detroit Lions chaplain for 33 seasons, and there's conflict right. in the locker room. You know, it's just part of conflict with 
being a parent, it's part of life. Mm-hmm. Um, what well, I didn't I realize when we got married 40 years ago was how to resolve conflict. I knew how to have it. I grew up in a uh, divorced home, two alcoholic parents left. My dad left when I was seven years old. And I didn't know it till we got married, but I had developed a, a, a belief about conflict. And that was this. It's bad. You avoid it because I saw bad conflict in my home. My dad would drink and get mad, get yeah. angry. Right. And mom and dad would fight and it ended in divorce. So, you know, I marry Anne and we have a conflict and I literally get up and walk out of the room. Not even realizing that's sort of my, you know, yeah. default when conflict happens. I just avoid it. I withdraw. And I'm from a family that we talk about everything and <laughs> conflicts on the table yeah. and let's go. And so when Dave got up and left, I was shocked. And as this young wife who really had no marriage principles whatsoever, I yell at him. Come back and fight me like a man, you chicken. Whoa. Oh, man. That, oh, man. I'm tell, I know this guy. This is an athlete you're talking to, right, too, right? So, yes. <laughs> so I came back and yelled, you know, and then I left. But I mean, that's, where, that's where we started in our marriage is mm. I thought conflict was bad. You just avoid it because, yeah. you know, you get into it, you're going to end up with, like my mom and dad did. Yeah. I have learned over 40 years conflict isn't bad. Yeah. It's neutral. How you handle it determines whether it can be good or bad in your marriage. And I believe the best marriages have conflict and resolve them. The best athletic teams have conflict and they resolve them. The best parents, you know, it's but but the thing is, we know how to have it. Very few of us know how to resolve it. It's interesting if you've ever read or studied John Gottman, and he's just an expert on the whole marriage thing. He says the number one factor in determining how well your marriage will do is how you handle conflict. I mean, it's that right. critical. So obviously right. over the last 40 years, we had to figure out, okay, I'm not going to walk out of the room. I can't get in my car and drive away for an hour or three weeks. Right. <laughs> you know, we, I've got to stay right here, roll up my sleeves. You know, as a pastor in church, you got to do the sure. same thing in meetings. It's like, wait, 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 wait. We got to, we got to deal with what was just said here. What, what did you mean by that? Let's go and talk it through. And we had to do the same thing, obviously, in our marriage. I'm not sitting here saying we're perfect at conflict, but we're pretty good. We've learned really how to listen, how to draw one another out. And obviously, again, we can't do this in five or 10 minutes, but at some point you got to get to forgiveness because you're going to be hurt Mm -hmm. by your spouse and by people in your life. And you can hold on to that bitterness or you can let God deal with it and say, I've got to get to a place of forgiveness so we can we can resolve this thing. I think we've really learned how to not use our words as weapons as well. Yeah. And we also taught our kids that they would be having a fight and I, and we would like be, have a timeout, like timeout. Okay. You can't name call timeout. You can't (laughs) throw something. You can't punch your brother timeout. And I think as parents we have, and even as leaders, we have that responsibility to teach our kids how to resolve conflict, how to handle conflict. And I think that it's so important for us in our marriages to model that. Our kids are watching all the time, whether we like it or not. I like, um, I like another thing you guys shared about um, your view on that, that verse. This will help a lot of young couples if they're listening because um, I could totally relate to how you started out your interpretation or living out of the scripture that says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. <laughs> 
and how you guys first approached that, but then over time, um, what those of us that have tried and failed have learned, I loved how, how you touched on that in the book. Would you mind sharing that? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, before we got married, we were told that that verse was literal. Right. So, you know, the proper interpretation we were told was you cannot go to bed mad. Right. You've got to stay up as late <laughs> as it takes and get rid of that anger and, and resolve this thing. So on our first and year I of marriage. And I would be like, how can you fall asleep? Yes. You're so ungodly. <laughs> yeah, because I, I mean, it'd be two or three in the morning. And I'm like, I can't keep away. And so I was like, how about we just talk about this tomorrow? No, that's sin. We have to do it now. And. And, and then, you then want I, a foothold? Yeah, exactly. Yes. And then I remember one time, I literally said this. It was like two in the morning. We're still trying to figure this thing out. And I looked at her and I said, hey, that verse can't be literal. She's like, what do you mean? I go, the sun went down like hours ago. Right. So we got till tomorrow's night, you know, till right. tomorrow at dinner time. And so I realized it wasn't literal, It's a, but it is a very good practice. Like yeah. you can't let it go for days and weeks. Mm -hmm. You need to deal with it quickly sometimes and I, and we didn't know this till uh we read shanti feldhahn's book of where she studied the best marriages yeah. and just did research and she found that the happiest marriages where the husband and both the wife said we are extremely happy she discovered a practice that a lot of great marriages have is they sometimes sleep on it yeah right. it's okay you know yeah. it's like and, and many times I didn't know what I was feeling in this conflict. Anne would be like, what are you thinking? And I'm like, I don't know. And she'd be like, yes, you do. And I'm like, no, I don't. And I realized that I'm a slower <laughs> feel, processor. I'm feeling like going to I bed. That's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling like going to bed. That's what <laughs> yeah, I want to exactly. do. I feel like I want to sleep on this. <laughs> That's all I can get out. But she was like, the relationship's so important. You don't care about the relationship. I'm like, I do care about the relationship. I honestly don't know what I'm thinking right now. I'd wake up the next day and I'm like, oh, hey, honey, yeah. guess what? I process this. Yeah. Can we talk about it now? And we'd have a much better discussion. I'm not saying put everything off, sure. but there were sometimes it's like, we're not getting anywhere. It's okay to sleep on it. Take some time, pray about it. Let's schedule again tomorrow night at six when you get home or whatever. And let's talk this through again. And you guys all know this, but it's just better to have those feelings, those strong feelings, feelings subside a little bit. Mm -hmm. So you can think a little more clearly and not say something stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. I, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you got to put yourself in a perspective. It, I think the, the point is right. And that's what you're saying. It's like, we got to come back to it. And oftentimes yeah. people mm -hmm. don't come back to it right. and, and you can come back to it with a, with a, the right perspective is, is so much more helpful. Well, I, I know it's not uncommon for a fight to begin with a spouse who wasn't fully honest and maybe a hidden sin was brought to light. Um, something of that nature, you know, Jody and I have our own story that you guys know before we ever became Christians. In fact, it was some secrecy and some things that I shouldn't have been doing that I was doing that almost, you know, led to uh, our divorce in our first year of marriage, you know, mm. and um, for people in that shocking moment, you know, maybe they are listening and they've just found out some news. Or they're devastated. You know, where do you begin and how much detail are you to share? And because it, at the root, it, it, it's really breaking down trust. What do, what do you do with that secret sin that, that isn't out there? Well, I mean, a secret sin or even a secret temptation that you're yeah. battling alone. Um, and I, I always say, I'm sure you preach a similar sermon. It's like whatever you're doing in the dark, yeah. if it stays in the dark, the dark wins. Yeah. You know, it's mm -hmm. got to be brought into the light, which means you got to tell like a, a, a man has to have some other men in his life. Women have to have women in their life. Sure. 
your spouse, but as long as you keep it in the dark, it's just a matter of time before mm-hmm. you're going to be another statistic, either in ministry or in a marriage. And so it's like, who's a friend, a trusted yeah. friend you can go, I'm struggling with pornography. I'm struggling with another person, even anger, alcohol, you name it. Right. As long as it stays in the dark, the dark's going to win. And there's an enemy of our soul and an enemy of our marriage who wants to take us down. And that's one of the ways he does it. He just keeps it a secret. And so you got to start with bringing it into light. Scariest thing in the world to do, by the way. Right. Yeah, here I am sitting there. Yeah, just bring it into light. It's like, oh my goodness, that is, that is the hardest and scariest thing. But once you bring it out, it's almost like that foothold is is loosened a bit where now healing and and uh, a miracle can start to take place. And I think we've experienced this too. In our first years of marriage, Dave struggled with porn. And so I get it on his side where he was thinking, why would I share with that with Anne? Yeah. It's only going to hurt her. Yeah. It's only going to cause more mistrust. It's only mm. going to divide yeah. us. Mm-hmm. And I get that kind of thinking like, oh, this is my problem. Why would I na- now lay it on her? But there's something about knowing your spouse, knowing the good, the bad, the secrets that makes you more one. And I didn't respond well, bad yeah. for me. Like I was horrible in my response. And looking back, I wish that I would have, we would have been more of a teammate. Like I wish I would have been Dave's teammate of saying, yeah. this isn't your problem. This is our problem. And she is my teammate now. Right. It was just the initial shock. I mean, I yeah. think her response was totally normal. And everybody right. has that initial yeah. shock. And so yeah. I think taking the time, I wish I would have known this as a younger wife and a woman. When, I, when something came up, I wish I would have just taken it to God first. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have even said anything to Dave. I wish I would have gone to mm-hmm. God and said, God, what do you want me to know about this? God, should I say something or how should I respond to this? Mm-hmm. When should I respond to this? Like those questions, taking everything to God first before we're responding, especially to something that's volatile, I think that can be so helpful. Yeah, that's really how, that, that is really good. Well, hey, we do something here on the podcast that uh, we did. We actually did it with Gary Chapman. We started with him, <laughs> and we do a little rapid fire. And um, and so what I want to do is I just want to throw a couple questions out to you and just we're going to rapid fire at you, man, and then just give us a <laughs> give us a sentence or, or something like that. So are you guys up for that? You guys good? All right, let's <laughs> do it. All right. So Joe, here's the ahead. first one. Uh, the wife is looking for the husband to step it up and take some and start leading spiritually, but he's kind of fading into the background. What would you say? I'd say she needs to speak life into him and the great things that he does. Like, don't harp on what he's not doing. Harp on what what you see him already doing and focus on that. Put the magnifying glass on that, and he will rise up to that for sure. Good stuff. Do you want us both to answer? You just want uh, one. Well, quick, quick no, one. go ahead. Yeah, Dave, you answer too, because maybe you know. Did you know? You're a competitive guy, so I know you want to yeah. get your answer in too. <laughs> I don't want to want her. I know that's what you're trying to do. So no. I thought it was perfect. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> but go ahead. What would you say? I mean, Ann sort of said to the wife. I would say to the guy. Yeah, um, totally. You know, because I was that guy. I was leaving yeah. my church, wasn't leaving at home, right. and I think it's like I think that you know. Anne needs me to be this Bible scholar. And I yeah. discovered all she really wants. Could you pray with me every once in a while? Yeah, that's could good. You, could we just pray together? Every once in a while, could we open the Bible? I mean, it, it was that simple yeah. to lead. And so I'd say to the guy, just take a just take a baby step and watch what happens. 
That's good. All right. Next question. Uh, I know you guys started out, I think, um, living with your parents, kind of back and forth. So this this might have come into play. I don't know. You're one, too, I think. Uh, what do you do with an overbearing in-law or other family members who are overly involved in the marriage and it's starting to drive a wedge? Tell them to butt out. <laughs> How's that for a quick response? I just and, got done playing tennis this morning, so that was a volley at the net down the middle. Um, that's, that's good. No, I mean, I'm kidding, but at some point, yeah. you know, as you think about the definition of a, of a, of a marriage is to leave and cleave. So um, there is this leaving that has to be done. You honor your parents, you love your parents, but if they're overbearing at some point, yeah. and I would say to the husband, Step up and say, Mom, Dad, I love right. you. We have to figure this out, and you're going to have to stop being our parents in that way. Just yeah. we're mm-hmm. grown adults. Help us. Let us be free to to make mistakes. Yeah, that's good. this is a really hard one because we've when we've been um, coaching and helping mentor NFL athletes and their wives for 30 years, mm. and I would say this is the biggest conflict they have. Wow, because. You have a mom that's like poured everything into these kids, these sons. And I think a lot of times the husband or the son can feel like I owe her. And so he'll just let her weigh in. And then the wife, the man's wife is resentful. Like Mm -hmm. I'm your wife. Mm -hmm. Your mom's not supposed to, but she can nag all she wants, but he has to come to that realization. I think it takes another man to tell him you need to cling to your wife and put boundaries around your marriage. It's a diff- that's mm-hmm. a hard one. Yeah, that's good. I like, too, that you're, you're saying ideally the husband should talk to his own parents. The wife should talk to her yes. own parents, right? Yes. Yeah. I don't think it goes real well when no. <laughs> we try. Yeah, we tried, we tried that. It didn't go real well. <laughs> yeah, that's good. All right, let me get to the next one. How do you keep your marriage fresh and exciting? I mean, you guys have been married for a long time. How do you keep things fresh, exciting, romantic over the decades? I mean, you know, you guys are out ahead of us a bit, but, uh, you know, with all the grandkids and all the things. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to just specifically ask that to Ann. How does, how does Dave do it? How does he keep it fresh? <laughs> yeah, baby. How Dave, do I do it? Dave was all over it. <laughs> he, bashed, he, he didn't ask how I don't do it. He asked how I do it. I like it. You know, I think that one of the big things is doing fun things together and laughing together. Like, that's big. For us to laugh together and to share some things together, it's really fun because it's easy to drift. I think we just get too serious. We get too into the drama of every day, the demands of every day, and we stop having fun. We stop being lighthearted. I think we need to do things that we're laughing together. And I and I will add this because Anne has made this a priority. We vacation every year. Yeah, that's yeah. good. A, just yeah. a couple's vacation. We try yeah, to do something right. with our family and grandkids as well. But, but a separate, uh, but a separate week or yeah, so good. away, just the two of us to just work on romance, work on it. Just if this is the most important relationship in your life, and it really is, yeah. everything comes out of the marriage. You got to put time into it. So yeah. we go to Mexico. We sit at, uh, on the beach. We right. don't do a whole lot, but it's just that right. time to say, this is about us, and we're going to work on it and have some fun. That's good. Awesome. Okay, let me go with the next one. What have you done to help each other? Because, you know, we get this a lot. We, you know, do, you do, people want to know, hey, man, what do you do to, to grow spiritually in these seasons of difficulty and busyness? And, you know, what are the, a couple of things that you guys have, would say 
uh, to, you know, cause you're, you know, obviously God's done some great things and, and how, how do you grow during the seasons of busyness? We try, I'm saying this cause I don't always accomplish it to pray together every day. Yeah, that's good. We have even had a practice getting on yeah. our knees at, on, at the foot of our bed before we go to bed. We haven't right. done a good job recently yeah. with that, but, um, that is just a simple spiritual practice of going vertical and horizontal together. Right. It's yeah. sort of a vertical marriage thing. It's like, just don't yeah. do it alone, no, but good. do it together. And it really mm-hmm. enhances your marriage. The other thing we're doing right now is we're doing a Bible app together. We're doing mm-hmm. um, oh, on the U version. We're yeah. doing, uh, we now, just did the book of Luke and now we're into Romans, but you comment on it. So we're not really yeah. together, right. but we're commenting on it because you can do that in a plan and we idea. can share it. But it's awesome just to hear Dave's thoughts on the scripture we read that day. Yeah. That just, that mm-hmm. brings you together spiritually. Okay, here's a good one. Share one thing that is never going to be helpful in a marriage. It's not going to be helpful for a wife to always be critiquing her husband. Yeah. It feels mm. like she's it feels like she's his mom rather than yeah. his wife and partner. Mm. Wow. If all you're doing is critiquing and nagging, you're going to lose your man. Yeah. Mm. And I want you to hold on. Now we got to go for longer than a minute on this because you got to tell the story, Dave, of, you know, we've heard you guys speak and we actually use this story in our uh, when we do a marriage retreat, and it's about, you know, Dave, you were a phenomenal athlete, um, you know, football quarterback, had the, the stadiums were cheering your name, and then <laughs> tell us the story. I don't want to give too much, but but what happened when you'd be coming home? Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, Ann can tell it because we, yeah, were go ahead, let her a, <laughs> we were speaking to a mops group, mothers yeah. of preschoolers, and I started sharing the story you're talking about, Ron, and she didn't even, I'd never said it out loud before, so the first time it came out of my mouth, she's sitting on stage with me, and it didn't go well. He basically gets up, and he goes, women, I don't think you get this, but we as little boys usually have a parent, someone's cheering for us, like, you're good. Yeah. Because then I, we get older and we find out what we're good in and see there, right. you know, it could be sports, it could be school, yeah. it could be music, but usually a coach or someone's like, yeah, you're the man. And they're cheering for us. And he goes, I played college football as a quarterback. So on Saturdays, people are cheering for me. And I'm sitting on the stool thinking, he's never shared any of this before. <laughs> and he said, and then I meet Anne. And basically she says, of all the men in the world, I choose you, Dave Wilson, you're the man. And she's cheering for me. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. This is good. He goes, and then you know what happens? After we've been married a while, you know what happens when we walk in the door? Here's what happens when I walk in the door. I walk in the door, and all I hear is, boo, boo. (laughs) And I'm sitting there like, what are you talking about? And I don't even know how we got home, but we got in the car. Dave, you just, right Dave you you've thrown a lot of interceptions in that house. Yeah. That was it. You're fumbling the ball. I mean, you're you're losing everything, man. You can't. That was a that was a pick six right there. Oh, to lose the game in front of you all think the women. I'm booing you. I am helping you. And I said, I said, you know, everybody sees. Oh, you think you're amazing, Dave Wilson? You're out in front of all these people and you're leading. Well, I see the real you, and I can help to make you better. And he said, yeah, it doesn't feel like you're really helping me. I just want to run away from that. And I asked God, God, am I booing Dave? And I felt like he said yes. So I had to learn how to to cheer him. Not that I still didn't speak truth. Right. But I started making more deposits of cheering and speaking life than speaking death. Because 
the power of life and death is in our tongue, is what yeah. the Bible says. No, that's good. And you know what? And honestly, that is, that's, I appreciate you sharing the full story because it's, it's so helpful because we get in relationships and that's what it feels like. You know, we're not yeah. cheering each yeah. other out. We're not, we're not, well, you said it already, so good. And as a former athlete myself, hey, we're not on the same team here. You know, we're not trying to yeah. get the same objective. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it's a little different. I know you're a football guy, Dave, and I, I was a basketball guy. And, and uh, you know, Jody actually used to be a statistician. And Whoa. she would, yeah, she was the stat girl. And so what happened was, I think that's how I got a, a scholarship at college. She was the stat girl in, in high school. And so she wasn't booing me like what was going on over your house. She was giving me more rebounds than no. I deserved. She was a couple well, you know, never. Your numbers. <laughs> yeah, no, she was exactly no. right. So, no, but I'm, uh, but honestly, we, uh, we love that story and uh, so much appreciate you guys. Mm-hmm. Hey, this has been a rich conversation for us. And I know it's mm-hmm. helpful to our listeners. Uh, what do you hope people take away from your book? You know, what's um, as, as vertical marriage? Um, just what, what's the takeaway that you hope, what, what's the dream you have for people's marriages? I mean, our dream is very simple. It's, um, it's really similar to what we did on our, on our honeymoon wedding night. Um, sounds sort of like, where am I going with that? Well, I, that's what I was going to, I was, I know you well enough to say, uh, do we really want to go down this road, but keep going. No, I mean, the thing we did before we crawled in bed that night was we both got on our knees at the foot of the bed. And I literally remember word for word, the prayer was, God, we're not asking you for a good marriage. We're asking you for a great marriage that will one day impact the world for the for the gospel. Mm -hmm. Never thinking that here we would be years later. And then, you know, at the 10 year anniversary, when we almost end our marriage, you're thinking, how's God going to use that? We messed it up. And yet God just restores and not only blesses us, but then wants to bless through. He wants to use our marriage to impact others. So our yeah. our hope is, I mean, honestly, our hope is that people read that book and close it and get on their knees yeah. and say, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all yeah. yours. Well, yeah, and hopefully they do it as a couple. But even if they just did it alone, at least mm-hmm. one of them. But man, if they both did... God can do, you know, Ephesians 3.20, beyond, immeasurably more what we can even dream or ask, and and according to his power. That's the Holy Spirit power within us. And so that would be our dream, is that God could use our story to change legacies for the kingdom. Well, he certainly is. I know that for sure. And uh, we're thankful for your guys and your friendship and just the way you write with such honesty and speak. And uh, you've you've helped a lot of couples. you know, not only um, just get their marriages back in order, but just stay focused and stay mm-hmm. vertical on what's really, really important. Hey, uh, thanks so much for taking the time today. Where can our listeners find you online and get more information about your ministry and the book and your expertise on the topic of marriage? Well, you can find us anywhere you go on social media, Dave Ann Wilson, at Dave Ann Wilson, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And, uh, you know, we're on Family Life Today, radio and podcast every day. So just go to Apple Podcasts and you can find us there or our website, DaveAnnWilson.com. Awesome. Well, hey, well, it's been good, man. Thanks so much for being with us, Dave and Ann. It was fantastic getting, just catching up a little bit and uh, sharing some stories. And uh, we're grateful for you. Thank you. We love you guys. We appreciate you guys and all you're doing too. was Dave and Ann Wilson talking with Ron and Jody Zappia about what to do when you start to feel like your marriage is going off the tracks. I mean, you are heading in the wrong direction. You're not sure if you're going to make it. And as always, 
We want to take things back to the table, the kitchen table, with our friends, Derek Puckett. Good to see you, man. And Lena Abujamra, Ron Zappia. Well, uh, Ron, we finally did uh, produce a decent podcast, I think, because uh, we got Jody on, the one and yeah, only. Jody is with you. Know. And uh, no, I know this is a passion area for you guys. I uh, wish she was here right now. Yeah. Yeah, but you've written on it, you've traveled all around, and uh, the Wilsons, I know, are your guys' friends, and uh, you guys brought much practical yeah. advice, wisdom about what it means to have a healthy marriage. But let's get this conversation just going immediately on the flip side. Um, as I was listening to them and their own story, I, I began thinking, are we too reactive when it comes to relationship? Are we too reactive when it comes to marriage? Are we actually equipped? I'm thinking about the young couples, uh, at least in our church, but many churches that, you know, they go to like two little counseling sessions with the pastor and they're in the, you know, the honeymoon phase of engagement and planning their wedding. And are we actually equipping young couples for success in the first few years of marriage? Because I'm of the opinion, man, if you can get those first five to 10 years right <laughs> and get them set up, you're probably going to be set up. You're going to have a pretty decent, not not exclusively, but a pretty decent foundation. And so question is this, where's the church failing in equipping young couples? Let's start there. I feel like this is an attack on me because Steve, you know my story. I got the first year totally wrong. (laughs) So it's like, what is going on here? Derek, you're the only one that's going to speak into us. And then Lena, just counsel us. (laughs) We have enough time. (laughs) Tell us what we did wrong. Derek, what do you see in the church do wrong? It's a good question. I I think that it's one, I don't think there's enough counseling being done um, in churches, uh, enough intentional engagement and shepherding of young couples and engaged couples doing life with one another. I think it's a discipleship issue at the end of the day for me. Um, it's Sometimes I think there's this, well, we, we kind of heard it in, in church and Christian circles, marriage sometimes seems to be the arrival point yep. um, for a lot of people. And and the reality is, I think when you get married, there's more of a target on your back. You know, mm-hmm. Satan is still after you. He doesn't want to see the covenant of marriage uh, succeed. And so I think there needs to be more preparation, more counseling done, more uh, engagement. But then also uh, life on life after that, whether it's marriage groups or um, people walking life with people that have been married longer. For me, that would be the first thing that I would say is like, this is the arrival point for a lot of people in their minds as a Christian. And the reality is that life after this is hard. As Ron was just talking about the first year, you talked about the five to 10 years. I mean, I'm 13 years in and I'm like, man, there's, there, we're still um, learning things. And I feel like we're kind of hitting this really healthy stride, but that's 13 years in. <laughs> what about 13 years before that? And who you're walking with and, and doing life with? So to me, it's a big discipleship, just really um, engagement and intentionality to the church that I feel like we're missing. Lena, I feel like you have probably, uh, uh, you do have as a single woman, really unique perspective because sometimes we're bringing our own bias. You know, uh, we're talking with three men that are all married and uh, I would imagine sitting, you know, from your uh, vantage point, that there's times where you're looking at people, because you've counseled tons of people. I mean, you're doing ministry all over the world. You're interacting with people where it's like, I would imagine, maybe I'm wrong, so correct me if I'm wrong. As a single woman, you're going like, what did these people get into this thing for? Like, what are you? I don't think you? they even knew. Yeah. I don't think people even know. I do, I'm telling you the truth. I agree with you. First of all, I think Derek is right on. We have made marriage the golden apple. Like, if you get married, and so we've right. geared all the premarital counseling to that one 
wedding day, and then it's like people are done, and they're supposed to just get it. And I think there's a sort of feeling of, of something is terribly wrong with me if I'm married and, and things are hard. And so, so the couples learn to hide. So they might be absolutely miserable in private, but and and I think they hide from each other, as as David Ann described. Like she, you know, yeah. they're on the state, and he thinks right. everything's wrong. So I think you just learn to live in hiding, and I think we're too good at that. And I think the church has made divorce too easy. Mm. And I, th- I see that pattern over and over again. But, you know, I, I think you've all almost given people this message. Like, I can't tell you how many people I get emails from who are 50 years in and miserably married. Mm-hmm. And they're married to a person mm-hmm. that they never thought would be such a mess yeah. and their kids are a mess. And, and so I almost wow. feel like we've given people this idea that you either have to stick it out, just do it no matter, you know, or leave. You know, it's like this extreme. Yeah. You know, we love you, Grace. And, 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 and so there's these two options. And the one who stays is miserable, but they're living by the mm. law, so to speak. And the one right. who leaves is living by grace, but they're miserable because the, the divorce rate in a second marriage and a third marriage are, are just as high, if not worse. And so I, I think this is where the tools need to be is to sort of help people understand that you're not, your problems are not solved the minute you get married. Like right, we're all right. in a process of sanctification. So yeah, I, maybe maybe we know? should start, you know, in our premarital going, you know, uh, you just have a bunch more problems the day you get married. Like, what, <laughs> right. what, what if we just led with that, you know? And, and I think the church continues to take its cues from Hollywood. We do it in yeah. singleness, and I think mm-hmm. we do it in marriage. And in singleness, this idea that you can't be complete if you're not married. And so now they chase marriage, and, and, and this idea in Hollywood, like Hallmark, ends at the wow. wedding. And, and, and we sort of are, are going, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what we want. And we're not, again, with all so many issues we've talked about here, we haven't paved the biblical path of what the gospel looks like for a single or for a married. Well, it's an interesting thought, too, because I think we do that with new believers as well. We yeah. think they're like, okay, right. I become a Christian, then yep. all of a sudden all, everything's going to line up and I'm just going to have this clear path. When it's usually quite the opposite, and we see yeah. all throughout Scripture this how, that it's 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 God with you in the midst of all the difficulty, hard conversations, pain of life. Not that all those things go away. And sometimes right. I think we we even pitch that as like in our evangelism strategy, like somehow the pains and woes of yeah. life are gonna gonna go away. Um, let, let let me ask this because uh, even even going back, I want to stick on the, these young couples. Like I I don't feel this is my opinion that we're we're actually getting at the real topics when we're helping prepare people for marriage. And right. so then, so we're not talking about like, often we're really not talking about sex. Right. Um, so you either have a, a couple who has been sleeping together or have slept with a bunch of other people or other people, or they are virgins and they're like, I have no idea what, right. se-, you know, right? And so we're not really talking about it. It's kind of this, still this weird taboo thing in a world that's like sexually charged. And then we're supposed to just go in and kind of navigate this thing. Or what happens when five years in you wake up or 10 years in and you're like, I'm not attracted to my spouse the way that I once was. You know, man, we were in college or we were in our mid-20s and it's like we couldn't keep our hands off ourselves. And now you're 10 years in, 15 years in, 20 years in. Um, Should we be having more of those conversations? And and probably the answer is yes, but why aren't we? 
there's sort of, sort of a shift that happened in the church too, if you look at it. I mean, there's this generation, the boomers and, and older, who never talked about it, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it was like everybody knew that they had a sex life because right. they were kids, but like you never talked about it. <laughs> right. And so, and, and that evangelical culture sort of thought that your sex problems are resolved at marriage. So whether it was yeah. the single who struggled with porn or masturbating right. or whatever, it, like they would somehow resolve. And I think what we're seeing now as we look at, I'm that Gen X in the middle and then going into, the, so we're a little more open about these things, but then especially the, millenn- the millennials and under, they don't even believe premarital sex is necessarily wrong Shoot, right. statistically in the church. And so I think sort of this, so so you almost have a generational gap in the church where there's the older people going, you know, who are oblivious, like they're blind. The other ones who are sort of oblivious because they just think anything goes. And so I think, you know, again, you go back to, um, A, you got to address it because it's, it's a huge part of life. And B, because I think I think ultimately most people who end up leaving one another, it's because of a failure in this area at some point or yeah. another. And, and this idea of change, all of us believe it as Christians. Somebody tweeted the other day an interesting thing. Someone said, I've been told that I have changed lately. And she says, isn't that the point? And yet so many marriages break because you go, well, you've changed so much, right? We hear that, like, oh, you've changed so much since we got married. Well, isn't that the point of changing as a Christian? But it's almost like we don't know what we're supposed to change in. Do you think that there's a swing that's gone too far of, like, if you go back three, four, five decades where it was probably too legalistic, and to your point, it's like, stick out the marriage and stick out—has it— swung too far to license now where whether that's oh yeah you know i'm just unhappy let's go ahead and get a divorce let's just be done with it there's no stigma yeah. attached to divorce right. anymore or same thing no. you know sexually i mean we're just so desensitized to it i mean without naming yeah. names i mean they you know in the press this week you know a name we'd yeah. all recognize who's you know you know sleeping with their pastor and you know these are these are public figures who you know have christian you know as a qualifier next next to their name and it's like Man, if they're doing it, and man, and their pastor, they're sleeping with their pastor. I mean, is this really a thing in Christianity that we actually believe? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, to your point, I, I think it's definitely got not only desensitized, but we just undervalued the, the this value of covenant. I don't think we understand just gospel covenant. What's the covenant between man and woman? What's true marriage? So when we talk about sex, I think that. Um, there's just been been an undervalue on the covenant of sex and what is, or even just a misinterpretation on what God uh, put together between a man and woman when he says, you know, be be fruitful and multiply when they come together in this covenant of sharing um, with one another and God's love for his people and why we don't do it until marriage. Now, on the other side in premarital counseling, I think there should be this emphasis on you should want to have sex. You should want to be with one another. But then we wait because we honor God. But I don't think that there's enough of us going, um, walking through this. There's not enough intentionality where on the other side, media and everything around us is very intentional, intentional of pushing an agenda of what is acceptable. It's just the church is not doing a good job, if I'm honestly just stepping up and actually explaining what is the covenant of marriage. Um, And then uh, to Lena's point as she likes to say we don't we don't kind of draw a hard, hard line a lot of times we're we're, we're too we just kind of go with the flow and we just follow culture a lot of times and the reality is when you look at jesus ministry he's always driving culture he's a, he's counterculture in a lot of ways and i think the biblical understanding of sex and marriage and um just how we walk into it is totally counterculture to where we're going in culture today which is problematic for a lot of pastors, a lot of churches, because now you got to say something that people don't necessarily like. And and might be 
I mean, you got to also boil it down to, is the person truly a Bible-following, Jesus-adoring, submissive Christian, not to your pastor, but to the Word of God and the Spirit of Christ? I mean, God's Word really means what Derek is saying about the covenant. This is where I think the church has to elevate the value of marriage in teaching. But now you go back to a culture that disdains leadership because of all of the problems we've seen in leadership. And so... To, yep. my, to my previous points, we need revival, but more than that, we need some of these people who are in the church hearing this might be like, well, that's not what I chose to be. Maybe I'm not a Christian. That might be, mm-hmm. or, or that might be the line in the sand that says, you know what? I am a follower of Jesus and I need to repent. And that doesn't mean if you've made a mistake and you're on your fifth marriage, God doesn't give you grace. We know that he does, but there has to be a little, I, I, again, I hate to say, you know, we've gotten too soft because I don't think we need to land on the side of legalism, but we're afraid of truth. Yeah. I, I think the soft yeah. discussion is a good one. And I, you know, without being, you know, driving that to the other end of legalism, because what happens is, is we've made it too easy. You said that before, yeah. but in regards to, I would just say it like this. It's like, you know, getting done with the run relationship and moving on to the next. Yep. It's just so quick. Mm-hmm. It's there's no reflection. There's no re- uh, thought process of 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 you know taking the log out of your own eye before you try to remove the speck from your brothers, and you wind yourself. You know we've all talked with people, counseled people who wound up in the same situation again, right. and that's the thing I think that's that's heartbreaking. Um, so you know biblical covenant is broken, and you just jump into something else, and 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 you know again the the past history of sex. You know, believer, non-believer. I mean, all these things need to be dove into. To Steve's point, in regards to beforehand, to really get to a place where you're whole. And I, I would, you know, marriage. It is change. That's all it is. It's change, yeah. constant change. That's what marriage is. It's yeah. constant change. Man, keep up with the program. I mean, Jody and I now we're, you know, we're we're loving the change now. It's like you know, we almost got all the kids out of the house. We're just happy. But <laughs> honestly, we're in all in all seriousness. It's been hard for us just to try to understand that next phase. And, you know, Dave and Ann talked a little bit about that. So I'm just using that as an example to say, you know, from year one to year five to year five to year 10 to year 10 to year 20 to 20 to 30. I mean, there's all kinds of change. What what do you tell Ron? What do you tell the couple who says genuinely, like, I no longer like this person? Yeah, uh, you know what, Lena, that is so, I'll never forget, uh, you know, Jody and I counseled a couple and, and, you know, he, he, it's like, I'm sleeping with my brother. And, you know, I mean, those Sad, things yeah. are really what true. What do you do? Like- well, what's interesting about this one is um, it was about her sex history mm. and all the things that she had done prior and the number of people she had slept with um, and all that. And, you know, they became Christians, you know, right after they got married and they never mm. dealt with all that stuff. Mm. And he was rather, you know, she was a, you know, uh, a very lead uh, very leadership oriented woman. He was a little bit soft, you know, if I can just say it like that and taking a step back and man, she wanted him to step it up and he wasn't. And again, you see that oftentimes, you know, in relationships where, you know, not one or the other, but someone's backing away and someone's pressing in in this situation, it was her. And it was about, she had to go through, Mm. um, you know, some healing with the sexual abuse that she had suffered and also with the sexual sin that she had um, been involved in in college. Mm. And that's what I mean. I kind of hinted at it. You know, it's not that they, that, you know, she went through it with wow. someone and dealt with each one of those things with repentance. Wow. And, and that's the, you know, I mean, every single person, every single instance, every single time, think about it. Now, again, I'm not, I'm, she didn't do it with her husband, yeah. 
but she did it with somebody and that provided the healing that they needed. And so it, it's real. It, you know, yeah. you've got to deal with the past or it's going to come back and haunt you. Yeah, I want, I want to get back to that in just a second. The how do you process and how much with your spouse, what, you know, with somebody else and all that. But you, you, you hit on, let's keep the, our foot on the gas pedal, the things that uh, you brought up even, you know, just how much do we actually value the Bible? And so uh, when I say biblical headship, <laughs> At least 50% of people listening, maybe more right now, maybe even myself, you, like cringe just at that thought because we look at abuse right. of power, we look at a patriarchal society, we look at like all these things that have been manipulated outside of what I'm sure we all believe is not what God intended uh, when he talks about, you know, Christ being the head of the church and the husband being the head of the home. I mean... We got to, again, just even talk, we were talking about young couples. Are we actually, you know, proactively preparing them or are we reacting to marriage? Are we actually teaching young husbands what it means to be the head? If people believe that, I think we all do. Um, and how much has that idea been manipulated outside of what God intended it to actually mean? That's tough stuff, man. That's tough stuff. And yeah. I, th I say that because I think this is, again, an example where I think the culture has influenced the church. So I'm a strong woman. I stayed single, and I sometimes think, thank God I did, because no, I can... No, you're not a strong woman. I mean, and no, look, <laughs> I, I think, Derek, I, I think, think it would be a disaster. I think it would be a disaster. Seriously, I think about that sometimes. Like, God had mercy on this guy. And, because, and I, I think I'm healthier as a Christian for being single. But, but the truth is... We have a culture of women yeah. who have been trained to be strong. Yeah. And I agree, yeah. Steve, it's not an easy thing to talk yeah. about. I, I believe in the biblical story, and I believe in Genesis 3, and the, how God restored the curse, and some of the things that were a result of sin back in Genesis 3, where Eve broke, uh, was the first to eat the fruit, and then Adam sinned. And of course, Adam was held responsible because he was the leader of the home. But out of that was God's uh, judgment, which says that a woman will yeah. want her husband's leadership. And, and I think we're living in an age where ears do not want to hear that in our soul, women want to be led. I, I know half yeah. the church will listen to this and go, not me, I want equality, we're the same, and on and on. But I genuinely believe God has created us with a desire to be led. I think that's why single women struggle sometimes, because they're sort of floating going, who's 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 mm. taking care of me? We want to be cared for. And so, but we've been indoctrinated by a culture that whether you could describe yourself as a feminist or not has feminist characteristics. And and I believe in equality. I'm not saying yeah, sure. we're not equal, but but that yeah. has impacted how we relate in marriage. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and a thing we've seen is that men tend to be more laid back. I'm not going to use the term passive, but more laid back. Well, many are, but let me push back on you a little bit yeah. because you, you, you know, we're joking around, but we all, you know, we're all friends here. You are a strong, successful, powerful woman that God's using to do incredible things with your life. You happen to be in a position where you're like, no, I think God has put me in a place where singleness is an ideal place for my thriving in in life. I just, I just would want to push back to go. There's a bunch of strong, powerful, successful women listening that that could thrive in a marriage as a strong, powerful woman if we actually looked at what I believe the Bible's actually teach. I mean, look at the things yeah. when it goes, okay, so serve your wife as, as you know, Jesus served the church. Okay, so you got to wake up every morning. You have to serve your strong and powerful wife. You need to sacrifice for your strong and powerful wife. You need to put her needs ahead of your own, you know, and, and we've, we've just, I'm just of the opinion, we've just butchered what this whole understanding is. What do you think about this, Derek? I mean, you, you hit it on the head. We severely missed 
this understanding of biblical headship and what does it mean to be a servant leader. I think to, I think you and Lena are both hitting it. First off, my personal story, I'm raised by a, um, a single mom, you know, a single mom, and I have three younger sisters. So I was in a house full of women, um, and my dad wasn't in the home, um, left when I was about four. And so I had to figure it out, but I didn't have a model of, of biblical headship, if you want to say, in our relation, in, in my family. All I saw was a strong woman working three jobs most of the time to make sure we had food on the table. And so when I came to know Jesus and I'm reading the Bible and I'm looking at his design for men, it wasn't until I was maybe almost 20 years old that I got to see an actual man lead his household in the way I saw um, what I see in the Bible, where he's not yelling at his wife, he's not hitting her, not screaming at her, none of these things. He's he's walking through the word um, with her and, and he's leading her in a way that's been able to um, shepherd her and, and kind of be the wind beneath her sails. I think when we look at the Bible, it says um, in chapter one of Genesis that we'll have dominion and dominion doesn't mean dominate. Dominion means create, cultivate. It means to subdue, make something better. Um, so if, if men based off what you even said, we're dying for, we're sacrificing for our, our wives or just people, period, around us. Women in general, men are just stepping up, period, in society. I think the people around us actually flourish um, and kind of bloom like flowers in the field in a way because they feel as if they can fly versus I gotta, I have to submit to this person, this and that, because you're now serving them and leading them through your serving and your humility versus you got to do what I say. That's never been God's um, design for men in marriage or just men, period, in society. And so there's a lot there, but I we just got it totally wrong at the end of the day. And we have to really kind of reel back in and, and say, yeah. what does this actually mean? And now model it for the church. Well, well, like it's almost like you have to re-explain and re-disciple people in understanding right. that you can lead without being harsh if you're a man, right? So we get headship wrong in that regard, we think. And then on the other side, you have to also teach, reteach women that you can submit without being what. without having no opinion or being walked all over, right? So I find that the stronger you are, the more intentional your submission has to be. I see it for me, not just, I'm not married, but I see it with cops. When I get pulled over, I have an attitude. I have to to choose to submit. I I see it with pastors. I'm like, I'm an independent, I'm going to go to another church. You know, like we have these ways that we've got to learn the biblical model of strength and whether that comes in the in the way of men leading yeah. without enforcing and a woman submitting without giving up her opinion, and I think it's possible because it's in the it's in God's word. I really think that That's God clear, did not put that for us to to come in twenty twenty one and go. God, I think he just I think he just didn't think about our decade. You know, he didn't think about <laughs> what we. I, I, he knew. And, and I think that's where our will has to break. And you come back to Ron's point of the beginning, which is there has to be repentance and softness yeah. on both sides. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's it. Well, good job, guys. You just informed half of our audience and you just pissed off the other half of our audience. <laughs> so well done. That's really good. <laughs> I uh, think you were the one who oh, accepted that's right, by that's using right, that's that right. word. Okay. All right. <laughs> who asked the question? Who yeah, asked that's the right. <laughs> hey, let's end with this because I said I wanted to circle back. But, you know, Ron's telling this, you know, if this has to kind of do with disclosure to. To a spouse, and, and even to, to bring it back to Dave and Ann, I mean, they had this like 10 year moment of, you know, kind of breakdown. And ma'am, he thought it was a 10, and she thought it was what, like under one or whatever. <laughs> I can't remember what she said. So, they, but Ron, you're telling this, you know, horrific story and this, this couple and sexual sin from the past and all the baggage that comes in from that. And let's just end on how, how transparent is 
is helpful in a marriage. Certainly you don't want to be keeping all these secrets or all these things. We want to be transparent with our spouse. But I can remember a specific story of somebody, um, you know, years ago that I actually worked with. And uh, honestly, he was in a habit of oversharing with his with his wife. He had struggled with some <laughs> pornography things. And then it would literally, I mean, he was so convicted by it. I mean, so I got to give him a little bit of credit. But so convicted, it's like he'd come home at the end of the day and was like, I went to the doctor today and, you know, my eyes glanced down at the receptionist boobs, babe. And, and, and then I was at work today and I'm, I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. And then it was like, you know, uh, I walked, you know, the woman who's in the office next to me, I, you know, I, I really find her attractive. And, you know, he's oversharing. I'm not exaggerating on this, but he's mm. oversharing with his wife. And it's like, of course, his wife's going to become insecure, yeah. um, right. you know, yeah, suspicious. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. yeah suspicious totally. of him. You know, yeah. where's yeah, the line sure. of, yeah, I want to be transparent with my spouse. And maybe it's not in real time, but it's, man, I got some dark past sexual impact, maybe even abuse past. I know there's, there's somebody listening right now that's like, if my spouse knew in full what mm-hmm. I've experienced, whether I solicited it or it was done, un- you know, it was done unto me. Uh, man, I I just don't even know if they could handle it. Um, I know it's an yeah. intense way to end, but h- how do how do we counsel that couple? You just hit it. I think. I think it's a. It's it's less of how much to share, but also knowing your spouse. I think you got to know your spouse. Um, you got to know how to love them well, um, and it's not it's never lying, but it's also it may not be oversharing, especially if there's uh, pornography or lust, especially for men. Um, or women, I, I think you need to have another person outside of your your spouse that is your intimate kind of accountability, uh, not always your spouse. I don't think that's healthy, period. Um, I have a brother in my life. He's another pastor. I talk to this guy every day um, about whatever happens throughout the day. It may not be something I saw. It may just be, man, you can't. I can't believe what this dude did at work today, my employee, blah, 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 this, this, and that, and the third. And it's just this accountability, this level there. And so, but there's also a side that I might share with my wife certain things that happen in my life. Um, and if she asks, I'm going to share. I'm not going to not gonna lie to my life, wife, um, but she knows I have accountability too. So if something were to come up, it should never be out of the blue. Well, Ron, we have a mutual friend who has Guru in his in his nickname, and we're going to call you the Marriage Guru because you got the book. You got so give us the final word on this topic. Well, you know, there's so many good things that were shared. I I really uh, thankful uh, for Lena. Your perspective, I think uh, we have made marriage the golden ticket. Um, I think we've overvalued it at times to this expense of devaluing singleness. But to, to talk to your direct question, I think we were talking about sexual sin specifically before marriage. Mm that can erode the marriage yeah. and you know, how do you deal with that? And you know, how much do we disclose? I think the first thing it's obvious, but I'm just going to say it. Cause I think I, I counsel too many people and talk to too many people that don't have you gone to God with it Amen. first. That's right. You know what I mean? And, and you know, as David cries out, you know, I sinned against you and you only Lord. Yep. I mean, not the, to diminish what you've done to the other person, but you know, I, how transparent are you? You know, some couples are extremely t- transparent with each other, but they're not including God in. And that goes mm-hmm. back to our point. What are you really building on? You know, and, yeah. in, in, in that example, it's like um, that's really, you know, the, the, the first thing is, are we both looking to build on 
a foundation of, of God's word and, and our relationship with him. But, you know, Steve, when you're asking about how much to share and how transparent, I think you got to go to God first. There's no question about that. Um, but as Derek is saying, you've got to walk through it. The example I shared, this girl walked through it with my wife and repented of every mm. single situation. And the Lord provided healing. And we all believe that the Lord can provide healing. I, I'm just, I, I, we just see too many scars from the past or wounds from the past that, that, that hurt and erode the foundation of marriage um, that aren't dealt with. So I, I think that's what we have been talking about and, and to just deal with those things in a biblical way with people that love the Lord and that can walk you through it is, is extremely important. So I'll end with this. You know, Jody and I have always, you know, to this day, we look for a couple ahead of us that, you know, hey, man, there are a few steps ahead in, in this situation with the kids and the family and all this and, and in-laws and everything. And we look for a couple behind us. And if you don't have both of those, you know, one that's pouring into you and one you're pouring into, um, you're not going to have the success you need. Well, thanks again for joining us for episode 15 of The Gospel Culture and Me. These are leadership conversations focused on the intersection of culture and the church and how it affects your day-to-day life. Make sure to join us next time. We're going to be joined by the president of Send Network, Dahati Lewis, talking about what it means to be an advocate in a racially divided world. I'm Steve Smith. That's next time on The Gospel Culture and Me. For more great conversations, head to gcmpodcast.com. And remember, our culture needs the gospel, and that intersection begins with you.